What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 142 of the Adult Education Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with podcaster and tour manager Dana Bolin. Oh, he's also a great cowbell player. Thanks for checking out the show. I really appreciate the fact that you're going to share some of your day with me. If this is your first time listening to the Adult Education Podcast, welcome to the family. I would love it so much if you would subscribe to the show so you're updated for all future episodes. And if you wouldn't mind, you know, leaving a nice rating or review, I appreciate that too. If you want to connect with me, the best way to do that is through Instagram. We are at Adult Education Podcast. You can see when new episodes are posted and you can DM me with any comments, questions, and suggestions for future topics or guests. I always love to hear from people who listen to the show. This conversation was a fun one because it totally went off the rails. I love this guy. His name is Dana Bolin. Dana is a podcast host in his own right. He's the host of Two Week Notice. Uh, He speaks with people from the punk rock, emo, hardcore, whatever you want to call it scene. Dana also spends time on the road as the tour manager and cowbell player for legendary indie rock band Piebald. And he does merch for a lot of other people as well. I've been fascinated by Dana and his story. I mean, how does someone become the cowbell player for any band, let alone Piebald? So I reached out to him about a year ago to see if we could connect for an interview. It didn't work out then, but then I met him in person at a Piebald show in Baltimore, and we decided to give it a go. Dana and I both came up in the same music scene in the Boston area, though I was a few years ahead of him. I really enjoyed reminiscing about some of the shows that I went to and bands that I used to go see. This conversation just brought back a lot of awesome, nostalgic feelings for me. I also found it fascinating to learn more about Dana in general because he says to me that he doesn't know why I thought he was interesting enough to be a guest on the show. I think you'll find that he's got quite a story when you listen to this episode. Also, before we dive into the conversation, be sure to check out Dana's podcast. Again, it's called Two Week Notice. And he's on the road right now with the band Hot Rod Circuit. So if you want to catch them next week on January 25th, 26th, 27th, or 28th, make sure you say hi to Dana behind the merch table. All right, let's see. Did it work? Come on. Yeah, I just needed some more tape. There you go. Word. You are a master. I thought I was being all great. I I, I was the one to check in with you last night. I was like, I'm on shit today. (laughs) If it's not one thing, it's going to be something else. That's just how it works. You're right. You're right. What's up, Jeff? Not much, man. How are you? I'm great. Good. So I, I first wanted to reach out to you, uh, A, because I'm sort of fascinated by your whole story in general, uh, and I love your podcast. So I wanted to kind of reach out and chat about that. But I was, I'm was i always so curious about the people on the other side of the microphone, uh, maybe because that's what I've been doing for so long in my life, that I'm so curious what the other people are doing <laughs> behind their microphone, which is why I wanted to reach out to you in the first place. So thank you for taking the time. Dude, thank you so much for having me. I've done, I don't know, maybe like a dozen of these now where like I get to be the guest and it always blows my mind that people won't, like, won't find me interesting enough to have me and yeah i hope i can live up to you know what what you're used to i don't know because uh i believe in your podcast description it says you have experts i am not an expert no. in anything experts can be a loose term sometimes <laughs> maybe playing the cowbell sometimes I don't know. <laughs> well like shaking that. your ass and playing the cowboy that's what you're doing that's your expertise <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> i am interested in because you mentioned that to me and we were going back and forth on instagram at first you were like i you know i appreciate you finding me interesting enough to want to be a guest on your show and i'm i'm curious to why you say that and i know it's always a thing like whenever somebody says you know they like what i do i'm always like oh great thank you you know, you, you kind of brush it off, but you are doing something interesting. I mean, people are listening to your show, so you're doing something interesting enough to bring in the listeners, you know? True. Well, for a couple of reasons. So like all these people that I bring in, they're like doing way cooler stuff than me. So maybe it's a bit of, um, what is that phrase? 
imposter syndrome. Sure. Because like, I'm not a musician aside from kind of a cowbell player. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Maybe that's part of it. That's got to be it. So in like self-esteem issues, I think I need therapy, which I'm like starting soon. So that's the thing too. The podcast is therapy, right? <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> actually, yeah, it is therapeutic, honestly. I think I think so for sure. I mean, I think it's not the same as having therapy, but I do find that sitting here and having conversations with people of all different, you know, backgrounds that it does kind of let you get some stuff out that you didn't really know was there and it kind of helps you work some things out. 100% dude, I've had honestly some of the best conversations of my life through this, through doing this. So, I it's corny, but I do always say it and I mean it when I say it is that like even if nobody listened, it's like, dude, I just got to talk whether it's Travis, who's someone who's one of my best friends, or like, I don't know, Max Bemis, who I'm talking to like for the first time. It's like, I just got to talk to this person for an hour and a half, two hours, whatever. And that was incredible, even if no one were to listen. Oh, for sure. I mean, there are definitely a lot of conversations I've had on this podcast that were purely selfish choices by me because I'm like, I just want to talk to this person. I hope somebody cares, but I want to talk to this person. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just like real that it people do happen to care and find it interesting enough to listen to it on their drive to work or whatever it might be. And I think you're great, man. I was digging into your show. You got a great voice and you're like super pro and, and you, you have the personality and I'm sure you're aware of this. So props to you, man. Well, I appreciate coming from you. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, brother. So I know a little bit about your story and I know just things that you've mentioned through your podcast that you were, you know, working in the corporate world, you decided to leave, you jumped on tour with Pieball. But I want to go back a little bit because obviously you're a fan of Pieball. That's kind of what led you into working with them. But then also you've been very heavily involved in the sort of punk rock indie, you know, scene, whatever you want to describe it as. I want to know, like for you, when did that scene become a thing for you? Like when did you find yourself getting into that whole world? Good question. Well, truthfully, I grew up on hip hop okay. and almost strictly hip hop for about half my life, I guess, at this point, I'm getting older. But until high school, I really only listened to rap. That being said, like my parents were always into the classic rock. And my sister, she's four years older than me. So I'm born in 85. She was born in 81. Okay. And she actually like she went to Woodstock 99. So all that 90s shit, she was like downloading into my brain, you know. Uh, so those are like outside influences in addition to the hip hop. Uh, but somewhere along the way, my first job, the first $500 I ever earned, dude, uh, stock market kid. I was pushing shopping carts in the parking lot, dude. <laughs> like I was collecting yes. shopping carriages in the, in, the, in the hood in Lynn, Massachusetts. First 500 bucks I made, I went to Costco with my dad and I bought a video camera, which... I immediately started using, uh, I think like every boy our age, you start making your own version of Jackass oh, videos. Sure. Yep. <laughs> At some point, my buddy who was in this pop punk band called uh, Go48, they later became called Preston. They were from the Merrimack Valley, but the singer was from Lynn with me. He's like, you got a video camera? And I was like, yeah. He's like, do you want to like come to my band's show and like record us? And I was like, sure, why not? So I would go to like the Knights of Columbus with them and record and i remember the band you're what town in new hampshire are you from salem salem do you remember the band five bucks that dude nick uh, uh was sounds familiar he's in, a, he's in a band called uh donaher now they opened for pieball a couple of years okay. ago actually anyway like his band would play just, i was just trying to name bands like that might so i i will say i left new hampshire in 1999 and never came back um 
I mean, I came back for like vacations. Like I went to college in Philly and I just never really moved back home. So my, my education of the local scene is anything that happened like 99 and prior. <laughs> that lines up because it was probably like 2000 sure. when I was, when I first started taking my camera, recording my buddy's band. And so that was like happening simultaneously you know the band Unearth? Yes. Medical band from Lynn, Massachusetts. I don't know that, I, for some that. reason, I always thought they were from Connecticut. I don't know why. I don't know why I thought that. There are a lot of hardcore bands from Connecticut, yeah. so that could be why. Maybe like you connected with like Hate Breed or something. You know Possibly. What I mean? that, that would make sense. But I'm going to like the high school football games, and that was when I started like smoking weed. So me and my two buddies would be like smoking a joint, and one of them was this hardcore kid. And like a stone's throw away from the football field was this venue in Lynn called New World. And Unearth played there a lot, and it was like Small Brown Bike played there a lot. Mm. So these there were these like hardcore shows happening, and he would kind of like talk me into leaving the football game, walking across the street, and going there. Maybe that answers your question. Then I like just got into like at some point Weezer. It was Weezer. I discovered the Blue album. I know this is crazy, but I didn't discover that until like two thousand, right? <laughs> Even though it came out in like ninety four, because I was just listening to rap and. Weezer was just the gateway drug for me, um, in addition to, I guess, what was happening around me that I just told you about. And then that led to, like, discovering Piebald and Taking Back Sunday was up and coming. Mm. And that's from there, is, you know, I got into Saves the Day and uh, all, all these bands that we love so much that were, like, really coming, really up and coming at that time, like, really starting to thrive. It was a beautiful time for that. Oh, for sure. And I, I think the way you're describing it is exactly what I loved about the scene and what I sort of miss now on a personal note is it was a community, right? Like, you were you were sort of brought in because of the friends that you had. And it was a place to hang and it was a thing to do with your buddies. I'm not trying to be a sob story, but, like, I just I feel like as I've gotten older, I've lost those buddies. Like, they're not... They're not around anymore to go to things. So I go to a lot of shows alone and I'm not opposed to it. Like I love going to see a great show, but like there is an element of like, I kind of miss like going to be like 15 of us all going to a show together, you know, and hanging out. Dude, I just got like crazy goosebumps. My nipples are hard. You know, when you get goosebumps, like your nipples get hard. <laughs> <laughs> not in a sexual way. It sounds weird. Though. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> but dude, because you just like trigger, unlocked some shit for me. Cause the very first car that I had, it was a, uh, 1994 mercury sable station wagon yes and so this thing had eight seats Mm -hmm. because it had the long bench and had like the seat belt even in the middle up front and then it had the three seats in the back and then in the way back it had the two like smaller seats even with seat belts that faced the rear of the car yeah yeah so that was my first uh car and you know i was one of the earlier kids to like have i was like that kid who had a license hanging out with I'm in 12th grade. Maybe most of the kids I hung out, I think were in like 10th grade. Okay. So they license yet. So I was the guy who would drive us to like these shows. Eight of us would back into my, not band, station wagon, drive over to Salem, Mass, Mm -hmm. to the Elks Club. Yep. Where pop punk shows were happening. And yeah, it was like a special time. And it's it's one of those things you, you don't even realize how like cool it is until something like right now, 20 years later, we're talking about it. Back then, I was probably just stressed out because I was a new driver, and I probably just had anxiety of like, "Oh my god, I got to drive all my friends," you know. Yeah, I'm gonna but, drive my friends, and my car gonna get stolen. What's going on? Yeah, totally. But you know, the other interesting thing you brought up, I think, is going to shows by yourself because I would say, I think maybe when I entered my 30s, prior to that, I used to just buy two tickets to every show all the time. Yeah, ever. and like I would always drag 
my best friend in the world. Shout out Ryan Mitchell. Uh, but like, if he couldn't go, I'd find someone else. But then I just like, st- I'm like, what am I doing? Like drag. Cause it's at a certain point, he just, you know, life happens. Like you said, yeah. and like maybe Ryan Mitchell couldn't go to those shows. So I was just like, I, I just started going to shows by myself and I actually prefer it now. Cause I don't want to hold anyone up. I don't want anyone to hold me up. I'll always run into somebody I know or make friends or, or both. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a story about that that I'm going to share with you about my wife. So my wife is not interested in like this music at all, like does not <laughs> enjoy it and kind of makes fun of me for it. But there was a, uh, it was a boy sets fire 10 year anniversary show in Philadelphia. And as, as I mentioned earlier, I lived in Philly for about eight years. So I'd seen them there. First time I awesome. saw them was actually in Rochester, New Hampshire at a place called the safe and sound, which I don't think it probably still exists, but uh, wow. so it goes way, my love for them goes way back. Wow. Rochester. Yeah. Rochester, New Hampshire. Yeah, um, that's so cool. I'm trying to think. I forget. Probably '97, if I had to guess. Was, but I, I feel like I've heard, this show has come up in the past. Was Caven on that one? It was Caven. Boy sets fire. And I'm not sure if Piebald was on it. I feel like Piebald was supposed to play, and their bus broke down. I I think maybe Travis might have been in Caven at this time. Yes, yeah. He played bass in Caven for a minute. Yeah, this show has come up on my show. So the, oh, that's uh, so funny. With who? Do I you think remember? Early on, I had Josh from Boy sets fire on okay. the show. It might have been him. Might have been him, but I interrupted you. But that that's cool. Keep going, please. But I want to circle back to that because it's funny that that show still exists. But um, anyway, so they did like a 10-year anniversary in Philly, and I live in Baltimore, which is like 90 minutes south of Philadelphia, so not a bad drive. And I was like, I'm going to go to this show. I need to do it. My wife was like, I'll come with you. And I was like, no, you don't have to do it. Like, I appreciate what you're doing but you don't have to come with me. Like, it's okay. I'll survive. She's like, no, no, I, I want to come with you. I want, I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like the first note of boy sets fire song. She goes, when can we leave? <laughs> it's like, You're in this for the next hour and 10 minutes. Like we are, we're not leaving. <laughs> so that was the last time I was like, you're not coming. Like, I know you're not going to like it. I appreciate your support. I do, but like, you're not coming. <laughs> yeah. Like why put us both through this? Cause it's going to, not ruin your good time, but you want her to have a good time too. So right. if she's not having a good time. You're going to be thinking about that. So that's cool though, that you established that early on with your wife, because maybe a lot of couples don't necessarily communicate that. And then they, get like resentful or something. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I think that's true. And I, I've tried to try to explain to her because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not lying to you when I say like, I don't mind going alone. Like it is okay. I'm being straight yeah. up with you. Like I, I would rather go alone than have you go and have a bad time. Like it would make, it would make me a lot more comfortable <laughs> being alone. <laughs> Dude, I, I don't, it's a tough dance sometimes because as I get older, I almost, sometimes I isolate myself too much to the point where I get more comfortable alone. If that makes any sense, sure. like, and I get almost antisocial, which doesn't really add up because I am definitely a social butterfly. Like just talking to you now, I'm all like, my spirits are all like higher, you know, like it's like human nature. You thrive off of that. Sometimes like people will be like, if it's someone who I'm like homies with, they're like, Oh, I'm going to the show. What time do you want to like meet up beforehand? And I'm like, no, I'll just see you there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would just rather meet up there and just do my own thing. But it's just weird. Like, when I was like, you know, 20, whatever, 20 years ago, it was like, we would all meet up. We we take the train in and sure. it's just like two hour process just to get to the show, at least, you know, now I'm like, just, I just want to get there, but I do always try to catch the openers. That's what it's all about. You know, 
it's a big big show or and or a big tour for that support act and that's how you grow yourself to and like learn about these newer bands you know what i'm trying to say i was kind of reminded of that at the piebald show i just went to where we met in person for the first time in baltimore because yeah. i i didn't know weekend friends at all and no disrespect oh, to the other opener whose name God. i cannot think of right now matt Pless. yeah matt Pless. thank you i actually really enjoyed yeah. his set but i i had never heard of weekend friends before and i walked away a fan i was like oh my god they're amazing dude I don't know how to say this without sounding bad, but they're like better than Pieball. <laughs> Not really. Like obviously Pieball is my favorite band in the world, but they're just like, they might be bigger than us in, in some markets. And they, I feel like they have their finger on the pulse more because Pieball's not full time and Weekend mm. Friends is fucking doing it. I'm going to get them on the podcast. We've already talked about it, but I just like love them so much. I love them more and more every day. You know, it was like an eight show run. And I had heard of them because they opened up, up for us once, like four or five years ago now, uh, for one show in Boston. They were thrown on last minute for like a 20 minute set. They came in and they were like ripped. We were like, wow, this band is red. And I genuinely became a fan. They rip so hard. They do. They they're so fucking good. I love them. They were so good. But and it reminded me of all the shows that I went to, you know, years and years ago, like uh, thinking about all the bands that I would not have fallen in love with had I have not gotten there early enough to see the opening acts. Like, like I saw saves the day open for converge. Like I, if I hadn't yes. gotten there early enough, that was the first time I saw saves the day was opening yep. for converge. I want to say it was the space in Worcester and wow. I never would have heard. I mean, I, I would have heard saves the day eventually, but like that was my introduction. So if I hadn't gotten there early enough, I would have missed them. And I like, I bought the record that day. I bought a shirt that day. Like, it's like, who is this magical band? I just saw on stage, you know, I love this topic, actually. Maybe that's something I'll start asking the people I interview. Like, yeah, name a time you went to a show and the opening band, like, game changer for you, right? That's a great question. Cause, I'm going back to that Boy Sets yeah. Fire show, that's one. I mean, I, I, I went to the show for Caven and Piebald, um, but Boy Sets Fire blew my mind. I mean, I think I've, I've seen them like 30 times. I, I just, I love that band so much. Oh, wow. Because of that wow. one show, that like, that hooked me from that point on. I was like, I'm in. That, and really, if you think it's it's silly as it sounds, right? Just you showing up 30 minutes earlier in that, on that day, right? Just to, and you caught, you happen to catch that set. That changed your whole fucking life in a way. Yeah. If, if it was a band that Im impacted you that much to the point where you saw them 30 different times after that, or however many times. Not only that, but like you obviously love the music that much. Just think about how much that decision to show up a half hour early or whatever changed the course of your entire life. It's kind of like mind blowing, honestly. Yeah. If you think about it. I told you at the Piebald show, the very first, you know, sort of, you know, music show, whatever that I ever went to was Piebald. And this band, Frotus. I don't know if you ever heard of Frotus because they've been dead and gone for a long time. Um, but I still have the Frodus t-shirt I bought that night at that show. And that's like 1996 or something. I mean, it's like 30 years ago and I still Dude, have that t-shirt. <laughs> you're an OG man. You, you're a gangster. I, scene. I got lucky. I got lucky getting into it. When I did. I was born the same year as your sister. So I'm 42 okay. years old. Yeah. You, well, you look great. Cause I, <laughs> I figured you were like my age, which is, that's like a five year difference or so. Yeah. I'll take it. Thank you. I'll take the that's compliment. That's awesome. Well, it's, it was funny, you know, when I look back on it now, like the bands that are still around, there's so many bands that were in high school the same time as me, you know, like the Caven guys, the Pie, they're all like a year or two older than I am, which I just think is fascinating to watch that they're still playing music 
30 years later at this time. You know, what's funny is at least for me, right? So being a few years younger, I was the perfect age for like all those drive through bands, like sure. early November and, and stuff like that. I, at the time going to all these shows, showing up early and like trying to get up against the barricade or whatever, like now fuck that. Like, fuck that. I yeah. can't do that. Now. <laughs> I had no idea, like Ace Enders and all the early November guys, just as an example, they're all like the same age as me mm -hmm. or within one year or like, like I'm 38. They're all like turning 40 or there's a lot of bands. I'm like, at the time when you're 20 years old and a kid, these bands on tour, you just put them on this pedestal and wisdom wise too. They, they're doing things that, you know, are definitely older. I don't know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like, well, Max Bemis, great example. That dude's like I, not even a year older than me. Yeah. But back 20 years ago, I would have thought just because of how much I looked up to what he was doing and everything, I I don't know. I definitely had no idea we were the same age. Well, there's something, too, with that where, like, I've heard people talk about, you know, the, the old scene. They're like, we're just normal dudes. Like, you can come talk to us. But at the same time, like, even though they're normal dudes or normal people, whoever, they're still standing on that stage. So, like, I remember going to try to talk to Steve Brodsky, and Steve Brodsky and I are, like, a year apart. He went to Methuen High School right down the street from Salem High School where I went. Like, we, yeah. we basically were neighbors, essentially. <laughs> and I would see him on stage, and I'd go to say hi, and I'd be like, I don't know what to say to this guy. Like, he's a rock star to me. Like, this is these are the people that I sort of, like, idolized, but they're my peers at the same time. So it's, like, it's strange to feel like they're normal people you can go talk to, which I find kind of interesting that that's sort of how you worked your way into the piebald mix. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I was just saying like, oh, you put them on a pedestal, but they literally are actually on a pedestal Yeah, literally. So when, when you're, you know, they're up on a stage and when you're at home and when you're in that formative age, right. Mm -hmm. And you're at home and you're listening to that record or that CD. And it's just like, and I'm going way back here. Like when you would really like open up the CD booklet and read the lyrics or, or if, if the lyrics weren't in there, you would just listen to it over and over to try to hear exactly what they're saying. You know, it, it's so impactful in those formative years when you see that person. And again, when you're 20 you're, or, or younger, you're still a kid. So it's like, th that's like your idol at that time, mm -hmm. even though fast forward, you're like, Oh, wait, wow. This dude graduated like the same year as me, just like the next town over or whatever. But they were doing something so cool, and it's still just as cool. But I think uh, maybe you get confidence, too, when you get older. I yeah. guess that could be true. Yeah. But, that's you know, uh, real, real quick, what was that? Yeah. Route, Route 28, dude. Yeah, uh, Route 28. I, I used to be a manager at the Fuddruckers. Oh, my uh, God. Right next to the I, Texas Roadhouse? I, exactly. Yes. It was like a pet cemetery across the street. <laughs> yes. yes. Some shit. And... Uh, Dude, what a fucking shithole, like, that was, you know, because, like, later on, I worked for Panera Bread for, like, a long time. That was, like, my big corporate gig, I guess. But the when I interviewed with Panera, because I was coming from Fuddruckers, I told them I worked at the one in Methuen. They were, like, the, the owners were, like, I can't believe they opened up that Fuddruckers. They were, like, <laughs> we looked at that spot. First of all, it's a shitty spot. Yeah. It's tucked away. And when we like looked in, inside the building, there were mouth, like mice running around, mm. like running around our feet as we were like looking through, like fuck this, you know. Uh, but and Fud Records went bankrupt, so there you go. But uh, yeah, it was all your fault, fun. Dana. 
Oh, totally. <laughs> I fucking brought the hood rats from Lynn, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I actually never went to that Fuddruckers. My brother used to go all the time. Uh, Nobody I never went, went to that, to it that place. It was like your, your brother and that was it. Nobody yeah. else came. My brother and dad would go because they could like make their own gigantic burgers. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I was like, oh, also, I'm good. <laughs> also, uh, shout out Canopy Lake Park. Yes. Ni- 1902. My Salem, first job shit. ever. Really, dude? Yeah. I was See? working in their catering oh, leg side. Oh, God. I always wanted to like work there, you know. <laughs> I don't know why. I just always thought that would have been the coolest job. Because to me, Canopy Lake, for those who don't know, it's this amusement park, 1902, right? I yeah, still remember I the so. coupons yeah. at McDonald's, dude. They said 1902 on them. And uh, my, my parents couldn't afford going to Disney World or anything, you know? Like that was like the biggest day of the year for me, going yeah. to Canopy Lake Park. And it's just this classic uh, amusement park. It's got the the old wooden roller coaster and the corkscrew and the, the galaxy and oh yeah, the galaxy. <laughs> right. Those are the, those are the main roller coasters. Anyway, that was a special place for me. And, uh, it still is like, as an adult, I go there and I'm just like, go to the pinball room. Cause yes. I just love pinball, <laughs> which is like, I'll pay the $30 entry or whatever it is just to go like pay more money to play pinball. I'm also, I don't need a, the, I don't need to sit on the teacups. You know what I mean? <laughs> but well the tilt a world but canopy lake is a very has, has such a special place in my heart me too i haven't gone in a long time but that's that's right where i like live so i used to walk there when i would go to work um, exit two off yep. of 93 kid that's right exit two <laughs> off 93. That's so that drive used to it used to feel so long oh my gosh you everything I, mean? I, I drive like 30 minutes to go to the grocery store now and i'm like i can't believe that when i was a kid 30 minutes felt like forever you know <laughs> dude it was an eternity it's like we're going to canopy lake and i was just like Yes. And then it's like, wait, we have to go like sit in the car for an hour. Right. I blink and I drive for an hour. (laughs) You don't even realize it. All right. Let's try to get, let's get back on track here for a second because you mentioned Panera and this is, (laughs) no, it's okay. I I love this conversation and I actually love when conversations do this. This is like my favorite type of conversation to have, but eventually you have to make that awkward, like, okay, let's go back to where we were. Um, Reel me in baby. So you go to Panera. That's where you end up. That, that becomes your quote unquote corporate gig, right? Like the corporate gig that you decide to leave to go with piebald so yes, sir. you're with them and, and you're obviously still going to shows you're still into it so tell me more like let's dive into this whole moment where you realize like this life is not for me anymore i need to get out of this and go do something else all right so i'll try and sum it up efficiently and effectively but yeah so i, I worked for a panera bread for like 10 years okay. i was the director of baking so i was overseeing the entire bakery department, which is like a multi-million dollar department for, you know, 64 Panera breads, right? But the bakers work overnight. It's my duty to check in on them, but like 64 locations spread across New England, I should mention. So like as north as Portland, Maine and like uh, Concord, New Hampshire, and uh, but like all of Massachusetts. So sometimes I would only see like each some of the bakers like how many times in that year am i really gonna fucking get up to augusta right not many (laughs) so i was just spread so thin on top of that dude like i got all these meetings during the day so it was like a great gig as far as like i love the people i still like love the boss that i had there a couple of them you know like great people uh but like i don't know at like 30 years old that somehow i got promoted to that director position 
And all of my peers now are like in their mid forties mm. average, probably older for the most part. Like if you average it out, they called me the kid. Yeah. Cause there's all these 40, 50 year olds. I'm just like this 30 year old, like making like, you know, a hundred plus thousand dollars a year. And I'm pr really proud of that. I mm. made great money. I worked really hard for it. But like the higher up I got, the more I was just like, I ain't sitting in these meetings like, oh boy, I can't wait to see what, what we roll out fucking <laughs> in, in the spring for the new like cookies that we got. I don't give, I like, I was like, I don't fucking care. I went to culinary school for college and like baking was the worst part for me. I hated baking. <laughs> it's just like, I like, got through those classes and I was like, I cannot wait to get these done and I will never fuck with baking for the rest of my life. And then like, I'm overseeing 64 bakeries, right? So I, and I just shouldn't even go to culinary school in the first place. It was never my passion. I just, I just hate school. I hate sitting at a class and I didn't know what else to do. And I wanted to take something. So I took, I was like, oh, like I can walk, like, I'd rather like, I don't know, fucking cook and like do that stuff than just sit in a classroom all day. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. So, that's a long way to say, like, I was never in the right field in the first place. And uh, music's always been my thing, music and like snowboarding, but music probably number one, you know, and uh, I was always going to shows, even when I was a kid working as a cook at Kelly's Roast Beef, dude, like, I was just always like, all I was doing on my days off was like going to shows whenever mm. I could. So that was always my passion. I just never had the, like, the thought well, the confidence to just be like, oh, like, I could have just like not worked at that restaurant and probably just hopped on Warp Tour and worked that. I just never even like thought that was something you could do or just like go and work at a local venue or something like that. So fast forward 2016 is when Pieball, you know, they had taken a hiatus. They got back together in 2016. It was a big deal. A couple shows at the Royale. And they used to always have a guy, shout out Ryan McGaffigan, he was their former tour manager, so it comes full circle in that way. And he would play the cowbell on the song of the stalker. Okay, yep. Got back together in 2016. Nobody was playing the cowbell, and I was like, I want that should be me. <laughs> I should be playing the cowbell for this song right now that's happening, and there's no one up there doing it. So uh, that was their first couple shows back together in Boston 2016, but they had a run on the West Coast. I bought tickets to all the shows. I flew out to LA and I still remember the moment throwing darts with my buddy in Salem, uh, being like, yo, I'm going to all these pieball shows. Cause I just took my work vacation, like my paid yeah. Panera vacation to like, just go see pieball for a week. Cause in my mind at the time, those are the last shows pieball they're ever going to do. And it's a special like reunion. And it was, and, uh, I just said to my buddy, like, I, I kind of want to bring a cowbell. He's like, duck, duck. I brought the cowbell. I showed up to their sound check. Long story short, and uh, they made me try out, which is hilarious. Which, as they should, as they should, <laughs> they don't know anything about you, right? <laughs> totally. But there was no cowbell position even open. Like they, they could have just turned me away in the first place. Who's this fucking weirdo with a cowbell in one hand and a twelve pack of PBRs in his other hand, showing up to our sound check in Los Angeles? Like it doesn't even make sense, but. That's how cool they are. Like that's it, why it's maybe a match made in heaven because they were just like, "Oh, that's rad, dude!" Like they were so stoked. <laughs> yeah, they were just like, "All right, we got to make sure you can do it, though." So they made me try out, 
more most nervous I've ever been in my life. I think. <laughs> you know, I've done like festival Boston Calling in front of like forty thousand people. I've never been more nervous than that moment uh, when I tried out, and uh, something worked though. Uh, and uh, I, I think that is to answer your question. Yeah, that was how I got with them, and. Fast forward, they eventually promoted me to like merch guy and then tour manager and stuff. So, interesting thought. And I, I know not everything in life is about money. So, I'm not asking it from that perspective, but you were discussing a little bit about how you were very successful at Panera Bread. And even though it was not the ideal job, I imagine for a lot of people, it'd be hard to walk away from that paycheck to go, like, I, I know touring with Pieball does not exactly bring in six figure salaries. So, and that's not <laughs> yeah. a disrespectful comment. <laughs> like yeah, no, I, no. I know that world. I know it's yeah. not happening. Like I get it. So I, I imagine that's a difficult decision to say like, well, I'm not going to accept this paycheck anymore. And I'm going to start touring with bands. Like do well, First of all, imagine, imagine if the cowbell player for Pieball paid six figures. That'd be great. <laughs> that's the kind yeah, of world I want to live in. <laughs> you and me both brother. <laughs> but uh, yeah, dude, so it was hard to walk away from. And I will say, if I were like in a point in my life or if I had a wife and kids, yeah, I'd probably still be working there. I guess I had that in my favor, right? Uh, but the trade-off is, I don't, I'm lonely. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just fucking kidding, kind of. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, man. I just like was this 30-year-old showing up with these 40, 50 year olds every day. And like, I had this beater of a car, you know, the owners are showing up like literally dude, I'm showing up to these meetings and these, the owners had Porsches, sure. each one of them or like, and then all my other peers had like BMW and Lexus and like Cadillac, all these nice cars. And they used to every single day I roll up in my beater, like my 2003 RAV4 with dents in it, you know, because I didn't have a car payment and my grandmother gave it to me because she couldn't drive anymore. And I was getting 300 bucks a week uh, car allowance and I was banking it all because mm. I knew I, somewhere in my brain, I was just like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because everyone else took that car allowance and bought something nice. And I just, I just didn't fit in in that way, you know? Uh, but like something in me was smart because while I was there, I bought a couple of condos. I still have them. One in New, Ham New Hampshire up at Atatash. I rent that out when I can. It's a ski condo. And then I got another one in Salem, Mass. I have like a full-time tenant there where I rent that out. And I'm in my parents' basement. Um, shut up my parents because I'm in this like in-law apartment. And I pay them some money, but nothing compared to what rent would be. Again, if I had a wife and kids, this, none of this would work, I'm sure, sure right? I, I think I just was miserable, and, and even though I loved the people I work with, and I was very engaged, very good at my job, and I just, like, I don't know, I just, like, left one day. My boss just kind of sat me down. He just knew, I stopped going, because they have, like, when you're in that job, there's, like, all these dinners and all this yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, everything's on the house, fancy food, and, like, all the drinks you want to drink, and just all this stuff. But at some point, I just like stopped showing up to those. And my boss was just like, I noticed you just not like, it's like, we're not firing you, but like, you're not like, uh, you know, you're not as much of a team player as you used to be. You know what I mean? That yeah. political part of it. And I was just like, he's like, what, what's going on? Like, what's the deal? Cause there was someone chomping at the bit behind me that yeah. literally have slit my throat to get my job. You know what I mean? So it's like they can pay that person just as much or less who was way much more into it and like a go-getter. So 
I, I was miserable and I started to show it because I wear my heart on my sleeve. Sure. And uh, I, and in that conversation, I was just like, yeah, I just kind of want to tour with bands. And then he's like, all right, well, why don't you take some time to think about it? We'll meet in two weeks. And then in two weeks, I was like, yeah, I'm done. Like, yeah. he's, like, he's like, all right, cool. Do you want to like leave now and start collecting unemployment? Or do you want to like work a little bit more? Like he like, gave me a severance package. Every I've never been this open about it. Uh, because I was ashamed of that for a while because it's like, Ugh. oh, my God, did I just get fired? You know what I mean? Yeah. But actually, it was cool. He even offered me a job like, uh, you know, um, like a lower position. And I'm like, fuck that. Like, what would you do if you were me? He's like, he's like, just go just go do what you want to do. You know, yeah. so he's like, you're single. You're 33 or whatever it was. And so then I went to Europe for like four months. I just, I just, <laughs> I just like took a one way boat from Brooklyn, New York to uh rome italy it was a one-way wow reposition cruise i had no idea how long i'd be there and i didn't care i thought maybe a month or two and because i had never traveled or anything i always just work work work, work yeah work. sure and i had all this money saved up you know <laughs> so i was just like i'm going to europe dude fuck it and that was how the podcast started man i did a travel log and oh wow I would, re- I would record onto my phone with the anchor app my buddy was my buddy uh, as i was about to leave he's like Yo, have you ever heard of the Anchor app? You should do a podcast, like, and and keep in touch with us, like, every day, almost like Bill Burr style, how he rambles on his podcast. Oh, I'm in, yeah, I was just like, I'm in Switzerland today, and I would just ramble whatever I did that day, and I enjoyed that so much, and I ended up staying over there for four months. Came back home, had no idea, like, I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do now, but I really like doing this podcast, mm. you know, so I that podcast was under a different name because it was essentially just a travel log. And when I came back, I, I just knew I wanted to start some sort of podcasting. I had no intentions of doing a music podcast, you know, and I just, I don't know. I called it two week notice. I was coming up with all these work puns. Sure. Final written warning. I think was the, <laughs> I was going to call it either final written warning or two week notice, like something related to that. And I went with two week notice and I came back and I started just interviewing like my my friends who I've worked with in restaurants, my like hilarious, like some of the funniest people in the world are people who work in restaurants. Oh yeah. Never, never be on stage or anything, but like, they're just savages. They're like, I, spent, you know? I spent 10 years in restaurants. I hear you, man. I hear you. That was how the, I guess I, you didn't ask me all of this stuff. I was going to, so I figured <laughs> yeah. got, so you're I, on a roll. I'm not going to interrupt you. <laughs> so yeah, I just started interviewing my friends, like sitting on the couch that I'm on right now. Like, like, I still remember the first interview. We were sitting, like, side by side, and I used, like, my phone or or a Zoom H1N to, like, record. Nice. Like, it's a field recorder, you know? And, like, we're just, like, like you know, looking at each other, like, twisting our neck. <laughs> and I was just, like, just telling restaurant stories. And that was the first handful of episodes. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I believe in meant-to-be stuff, but I will say, like, almost – right at that time like within a month of me you know coming back to europe after leaving this job big life decision uh piebald because prior to this piebald had only done like maybe a week at the most Mm. like uh for like a tour they never did like a full tour it would be like a week here a week there oh like we're on riot fest and we're gonna do like some shows leading up to it so i could always just take my paid vacation uh at a like and make it work with my job. But all of a sudden, dude, Dashboard Professional mm-hmm. hits up Piebald and we're on a full U.S. tour for the first time for Piebald in like 
over a decade. And that was when they asked me to be tour manager. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I also, I love Dashboard Confessional. So talk about dream come true. Piebald, like my favorite band in the world. I'm a tour manager all of a sudden, whereas like a few, like literally three years prior, I just showed up with a cowbell, <laughs> hoping that they like didn't think I was too weird. <laughs> you know, like maybe they'd let me play cowbell but if not that's okay I'm, i got tickets to the show so it's like it is like a dream come true in that way man and and yeah like i haven't looked back since all of a sudden i'm like in i'm in the scene like i'm touring with band now i tour with like this year alone i toured with bayside thrice the front bottoms and piebald and less than a month i'm going out on tour with hot rod circuit oh wow so like yeah it's it's only four shows but like right like Hey, <laughs> like I never would have thought any of this would have happened. God, they have one of my favorite records. Um, sorry about tonight. Is that the one that has the girl in the tub on it on the cover? Sorry about tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. Sorry, but sorry about yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. That yeah, record is yeah. so fucking good. Oh my god, <laughs> they're so they're like a piebald, like the band's band. Like yeah, never got their due, but like if you know them, you're like that band rips. They're so great. Uh, there's no wrong way to do life, and again, if I had a wife and kids, I. I I'm sure I'd be, everything would be different. Well, yeah, I mean, you can look at any decision you make in life from that perspective of like, if this were the case, I wouldn't have said yet. You know, like you can look at everything. I almost became a merch guy one night <laughs> um, for uh, my friends uh, were in the band Something Corporate. And oh, hell yeah, I was dude. at a show in Philadelphia with them. And uh, they were like, dude, we're about to go on like a European tour. We need someone to do merch. We just had to fire our merch guy. And I was like, well, I ain't got shit going on in my life right now. So if you're looking for someone, like, let's talk about it. And then literally that night, that was a radio station concert. They were doing a show for a Philadelphia radio station. And I had been begging this radio station to hire me for like a year. I've been emailing the guy like every month for a year. And the boss walks up to me backstage at the show and is like, hey, I'm a mean to call you. Let's chat on Monday. I got a job for you. And I was like, I guess I'm not going on tour. Like, I, I've been trying to do this for so long. I've got to do the radio route, which is, you know, it's still what I do today, 20 years later. But, uh, wow. but yeah, I mean, for like a hot second. But I think about it sometimes. Like, I wonder what it would have been like to go on tour in 2003 or four, whatever year it was, with something corporate, like around Europe and Asia. Like, that would have been a cool experience. But, like, it would have ended because they broke up, like, the next year. So there wouldn't have been a tour after that, you know. So who knows? Yeah, but. That's an amazing story. And you know what? You would have connected with people who, uh, in that tour, who stayed in the touring world. Yeah. Also, you probably yourself would have got the touring bug, especially like at that age. Oh, I definitely and would have. You would have ended up on tour with another band. That's like how it goes. Especially if you're like a really hard worker, which I sense that you definitely are. Um, if you're like a really hard worker and, and you're cool and likable, like that's life right there. Work really hard and be a good shit dude yeah. you know what i mean and you're everything's gonna be great it's everything's gonna be awesome for you if you just have those two qualities like which they kind of teach you in kindergarten <laughs> you know <laughs> right. uh, but you know it's it well, life is hard it's okay but one thing i definitely i i've always had the work ethic man like like i said i was pushing those shopping carts when i was 14 dude you know like yeah uh, just growing up in the hood and my parents being so hard working themselves and um so I'm really grateful for that. And then, yeah, and then it's just getting along with people and being likable. And, uh, man, that's I, I'm, like, thinking 
what would have happened for you, for you. Like, I'm like, wow, what would have happened? I mean, I don't don't regret the decision. Like, I think I made the right decision because radio has been an amazing thing in my life. I mean, I've been hosting a morning radio show in Baltimore for 16 years now. So, I mean, I wouldn't be here if I had made the other decision. I I love what I get to do, you know, so it's great. But it is just interesting, those, like, twists and turns in life where, like, you could have stayed at Panera and continued making money and climbing up the corporate ladder, but would you have been happy? Who knows? You know, maybe something else would have come along. I, I don't, but so I, it's just totally. interesting to look at those forks in the road and like figure out, I actually have a tattoo on my arm. Um, you, are you familiar with May at all? M-A-E, May? Yeah, yeah. of course. Yep. So they have yep. that Everglow album and I, I can't really show you in this video, but anyway, I get this tattoo <laughs> on my forearm. It's from that album where it's like the dude, it's a like back of a dude's head and he's looking down the two pathways, like the Robert Frost poem. Like one is all green and beautiful and one is all like dark and devilish. It's like, you never know, like, which way are you going to go? And I just feel like life is so interesting that way that you could go a, a million different directions and always look back and go, well, that was that choice I made. That was so well said on your part. And, yeah, there's no wrong answer, man. And, you know, one of my first ta- – I have a shitload of tattoos now, but one of my very first tattoos, I think my second or third, it was – it's I have a monkey versus the robot tattoo. Oh, yeah. Because it's a piebald song. and yep. So they've always been my favorite band. But the song is about like not working your life away, for mm-hmm. those who wouldn't know. So same kind of mindset. And it's so funny that you are in radio. I think that's incredible. And, you know, actually, like last year, up in New Hampshire, up in North Conway, the Mount Washington oh, Valley, yeah. dude, there's this one guy who owns like four radio stations up there. And actually, like I was supposed to go and interview oh, with wow. him to do a job like i didn't like bail on him or anything like we didn't have it scheduled yet but we i met him at a ski bar and i was still trying to figure out like what to do in between tours and stuff and i'm like i got connected to this guy who owns these radio stations and needed help i'm like this would be perfect like it's way closer to what i want to do and it is and i i'm doing the podcast like music podcast radio would be perfect for me i still want to get into radio you know, I think that's, I really admire that. But as we were kind of like emailing back and forth, setting up a time to meet up, I got a call. This was February last year. Okay. I, I got a call to do the Bayside tour. Right. Yeah. And I was like, hey, dude, uh, I e- emailed him. I was like, I just got called to go on tour. Let's, like, when I get back, I'll hit you up and we'll figure it out. But then the Bayside, shout out Matt Wilson, my my boss currently. He's the tour manager for Bayside he, and he does uh, front of house sound engineering for the band so he's on double duty he also is tour manager and sound engineer for the front bottoms perfect thrice in motion city soundtrack and he manages matt Pryor and the get up kids and he's worked with every band like he toured with say anything and jimmy world so like so i'm on this tour i and he took a liking to me and so when he's like he needs someone to tour with him for like the front bottoms for the rest of the year, he locked me in for that. And I had just said yes, also going back to something you said, I had been nagging on earth because they're from Lynn for over a year, both Trevor and Buzz, singer and guitar player, to like, let me be their first guy or like give me a, an opportunity on the road with them for a year, nagging. Like, like anytime something got announced, I'm like, yo, you need a merch guy, you need a tour manager, like what can I do, right? And finally, that opportunity came up, and I got offered a tour manager, a, a merch position. Not even an hour later, I'm still on the Bayside tour. I get a call from my boss, like, 
Um, and he's just like, I want to lock you in for the front bottoms the rest of the year. And the front bottoms budget is way bigger than unearthed. So, you know what I mean? I had to like turn right back around less than an hour later after like nagging them and finally like so stoked. It's almost like when it rains, it pours, you know, yep. I was just, oh, yeah. I just got this offer and they were so cool. They're like, dude, you got to take that. We'll be like, we'll figure Cause it was still like a month or two away. They're like, that's how, that's how this business goes, brother. Mm-hmm. You got to take that gig. We still love you all good. You know what I mean? During that front bottoms, one of those runs, I'm at adjacent festival uh, back in May and my boss, Matt Wilson, he was about to hop on the thrice tour literally the next day he's like i need you on thrice so all of a sudden i'm on tour with thrice for like almost a couple weeks you know what i mean so and it it is stressful or there's a lot of anxiety sometimes like chasing gigs because i have a tour locked i I got hot rod circuit locked in in a month that's four shows though right yeah piebald's not full time and i have another tour that's going to be announced really exciting one that's like a full six-week u.s tour uh, happening in the spring but other than that i don't, I don't have anything else locked in. yeah there's so much unknown i do pick up a lot of like merch gigs um like one-off merch gigs it's it's equivalent to like bartending almost you show up you sell shirts you you get some tips and it like yeah kind of makes it makes me whole financially but i couldn't do this shit if i had kids or a wife or something like even if i you know the next time i meet a woman it's like hey how's it going like and when you're like 40, you're trying to meet someone. It's like, I'm never home. Yeah. It's like my job's very unstable. Like, you know what I mean? It's like kind of weird, but um, I don't necessarily stress about that, but you think about those things. Sure, right? I get it. I get it. It's yeah. something that's in the back of your mind for sure. I get that. Yeah. Unless but, you meet somebody in the industry and then there you go. But. <laughs> well, and because of um, like just always in work mode when I am like out and about these days, that's like my social life. It's like, yeah, that is kind of how, same with the restaurant. Like, Oh yeah. Every, all of my ex-girlfriends, almost all of them, maybe all of them, almost all of them were someone I met working restaurants, you know? So, I mean, that's, I guess it's like how life goes, but it's just, uh, it's interesting, but I, I definitely, maybe sometime I could pick your brain more, um, offline about like the radio thing because I'm still like, super interested in that. But what radio station wants to hire a guy who's like always on tour half the time? Yeah, I, I mean, know. I suppose that'd be a trick. I mean, I think one thing with radio, as much as I love the industry, it does have its faults, and I, I, I think they would want someone that's going to be available more than say I'll be gone for eight weeks and I'll be here for three, then I'll be gone for four, then I'll be here for five. Like that might be kind of tough. Right, and I'm sure they would love me, and I would find my my way. Oh yeah. Like, but and I, you know, again, you add that podcasting element. I really think I, I belong on the on the air, talking um, like we are now, or or something. And, and when you add the music element, you know, even when I was in uh, high school, man, I was in the TV club, and I was just I used to do the play by play commentary for like this all because I love sports too. Yeah. So I would always do like the play by play commentary. Um, and make like 35 bucks a game doing that. Like, and I loved it. So I, I'm, I think between music and I guess podcasting, which is ultimately radio now yeah, in a lot of ways, it is. you know, I'm still figuring it out. I'm, I'm just a kid. I'm still a kid. <laughs> you know, I just love music. I like talking to people, you know, I love it, man. I mean, I, I work for, I mean, I grew up in this scene and I still have so much fondness for the, you know, punk hardcore, whatever scene, but I kind of, 
found myself in country radio for whatever reason. And I have a lot of fondness for many of the artists. There are some I could do without for sure. Um, but I've got a fondness for a lot of the artists, but I still feel like this is the world I'm so curious about, which is what attracts me to a podcast like yours. Cause I'm learning more about these artists or I'm hearing about them again. Like, look, I mean, I love Pieball. That was at the, I flew up from Baltimore for their final show in 2008. And then the yes. last time that was the last time I'd seen them until just a couple weeks ago. And I, I just hearing them talk, to you in your podcast, hearing those stories again, I'm like, man, it just reminds me of all those years of going to these things. And these are people that we didn't know about. We just saw them on stage. We didn't know their personal lives. So I dig what you're doing with the podcast. I think it's great to, to share those stories with people like myself that have always wanted to know more about some of these people that we've watched on stage for all these years. Oh, I got goosebumps again, brother. That, that was really beautifully said. And I I got this cheesy smile on my face right now, as corny as it is, because like there's something so magical about this scene. Like, and we're just hardcore kids or punk kids or emo kids, whatever you want to call it, dude. It's crazy how that is like. This is not a phase, you know. It's not hair metal. Like, <laughs> and I really think one of the maybe the biggest, maybe single handedly, the biggest factor is warp tour kevin lyman he's been yeah. on the show he's been on the podcast but like think about how crucial that was because not only was that like the summer thing and like did e everyone our age went to warp tour for 20 years right mm -hmm. not only that but like think about the it kind of put an umbrella over the whole scene you could have less than jake um sitting at that barbecue that they would have every night next to my chemical romance or any, you know yeah. what I mean? So I really think that was just like probably the most important, a, a, a huge piece of the, the whole, the whole puzzle, you know, I come across, like I said, I work these one-off merch gigs and sometimes it's not always, you know, piebald or thrice or whatever. It could be a comedy show. It could be an yeah. EDM show. And I worked an EDM show earlier this year. And the guy who's on on bus on the bus on tour with them, he's an old hardcore kid who his first gig ever was working Warp Tour. Yeah, you know. So it's kind. Of, it's I just think it's so special, and I just can't believe how big it is. Oh, I can't even tell you how many times I've had like they do a thing in, in country radio. I don't know if they do it for all the other genres, but they call it a radio tour where they'll take a new artist and the record label will bring them around to all the radio stations to introduce them and say like, here's our new artist. Here's a few songs they want to play for you. Just get to know who they are. And then, you know, hopefully we'll hear from you again down the line. But these artists will come usually with one or two like guitar players with them or like someone that plays, you know, the drums or the cajon or something. And I can't tell you how many players have come through with the artists that were old hardcore kids. Where I'd be looking, I'd be sitting there on the, like in the room watching this person play, and I'm like staring at the guitar player, like I know I've seen this dude before. And then they'll tell me what band they were in. I'm like, oh my god, I saw your band like four times at the Auto Bar in Baltimore or, or whatever, you yes. know. And it, like, but they were like, hey, we still wanted to play music. We moved to Nashville, so yeah, it's not punk rock, but we're still playing music for a living. Like this is our job, and that's awesome. They love. It's just incredible. And it's it's still a grind, no matter what sure. you do. I I left that job where where it was a big grind, Panera, whatever. And now I'm in this touring world as I've like talked a lot about. It's still a grind. It's still just as hard, if not more difficult in its own ways. I don't, and I don't have, when I was at Panera, bro, I, I had that car allowance. I, anytime I, I could drop my iPhone on the ground and it would like crack and 
but I I would just like I could just go buy a new one and expense it out. Yeah, you know what I mean. And like I had health insurance and all this stuff. Now it's there's so much unknown. Yeah. So it's still a grind, but and that guitar player who's you know playing guitar in a country band, but is like a former hardcore kid. Well, guess what? That that kid is still a hardcore kid, and I guarantee his favorite band or her favorite band is still Converge, Caven, Highball. <laughs> like that's their shit, you know. And they're just they found their way to be in it and still do the music thing. And maybe it's not exactly what they had envisioned, but they're grinding it out themselves. And it's hard to not fall in love with that. Yeah. stuff along the way like some people they're like front bottoms like especially hardcore kids but but they're fucking punk. the front bottoms oh, yeah. are so fucking they're punk as fuck and they're so sick you can't you it's impossible if you tour with that band and you don't fall in love with them and their music you're not human mm -hmm. so i imagine even like i'm not a country guy myself but if i was like in that world, which isn't too far fetched to think about, I very well could work a country gig or EDM oh, sure. or whatever. I actually do love EDM, but like <laughs> if I, I'm, I would probably end up falling in love with that music too. When you tour with these people for over a month and you hear the same songs every night, it's like it's tied into your whole life. It becomes who you are. So I don't know. I'm babbling, but <laughs> I, I love this. I love this shit, man. Um, the I music industry is a fun place. It's a, it's a wild place, but a fun place at the same time. Totally. <laughs> well, Dana, listen, I've uh, appreciated all of your time and I love learning more about your story and just reminiscing. And, you know, I, I think about when I moved to Philadelphia, I had my crew in the Boston area growing up. Then I moved to Philadelphia and met a crew when I was in college. But then as we graduated, everybody kind of moved away. People got older. I moved to Baltimore. I don't really have a crew here. So I don't have people in this scene that I talk to and that I hang out with. So it really meant a lot to even have this conversation just to reminisce about some of this. It made me feel good on the inside. Oh, so I appreciate you. Dude, Jeff, I appreciate you. Uh, you know, I didn't even realize, I didn't make the connection because like when you came up to the merch table, I didn't make the connection at first because you talk to people on Instagram. I'm really oh, yeah. bad at matching. I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I didn't even know that was you, but I liked you already. I'm like, like you just feel the good energy. Um, so I really appreciate you. I appreciate you having me and, letting me have this platform to tell these stories and just shoot the shit brother. And c can I plug the show real quick? Oh, absolutely. Um, of course. Of course. But also, uh, if you're still listening to this episode and you, for some reason, still want to hear me talk more, uh, two week notice podcast, it's the one with the peace sign. If you search for it and I interview musicians, um, Recent guests and notable names include Travis from Piebald, Vinny Caruana, Max Bemis uh, of Say Anything, Chris Carava of Dashboard Confessional, Walter Schreifels, legendary hardcore, yeah. I mean, name there, of uh, Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, Quicksand. Um, but also, like, I got an episode coming out really soon with Matt Pryor because he's got a book coming nice. out. Matt Pryor, get up, kids. Uh, that's probably the best way I plug it out. Sometimes I'm bad at plugging myself. This has been a fun one. So thank you, Jeff. Absolutely, Dana. It's been a pleasure, man. And I look forward to talking to you and bumping into you at some point here in the future. And listen to Weekend Friends. Yes, absolutely. Hell yeah. Thanks, brother. All right, man. Take care of yourself. Boys.
Big thank you to Dana Boland for his time. This was just a, a real pleasure for me. You know, sometimes I walk away from podcasts thinking that I'd be really good friends with the guest. I genuinely feel like I may have made a new friend here with this one. So check out Dana's podcast. Again, it's called Two Week Notice and keep your eye out for Dana to roll through your town. Until next week, be well.